You know, it's, it's moments like that. Um, I feel like there's just a freedom in dancing and in clapping. And I think sometimes we take worship and the BJ Han and chapel so seriously. But I just feel like the Lord's burden is light. And it's in moments like that where you sense it, right? A freedom in worship. So can we just say thank you to our brothers and sisters? Yeah. It, it's also moments like that where I feel pretty insecure because I'm not very good at singing and clapping and dancing at the same time. Like I can only do so many things at once. And so uh, anyway, so thank you for getting me out of my uh, comfort zone. But it's so, it's so good to be with you. Before we get started, I want, I want to just share a couple of announcements of some things happening on campus. This Saturday, I believe it's 10 to 11.30, in the Grill, there's an event for women on campus called Less Alone. It's basically a social and study on friendship. And there will be snacks, there will be some food. Okay, good. There has to be now. There wasn't before. So there will be food in the Grill Saturday, 10 to 11.30. Also tonight, there is a, if you're interested in leading a PLEA team over spring break to go on a mission trip, there's a meeting at 9 o'clock in SB 1606. We'd love to see you there. And then the last one, if you want to hang out with like 500 middle school and high school students tonight, six, or you may be like, why? No, that sounds terrible. Uh, but they're going to be in the grill at, uh, from 6.30 to 8.30. We're going to have some games and some pizza hanging out. And then also we're going to be worshiping in here this morning. I know the Northwestern game's going on too. You can hit both. It's okay. But we'd love to see you there as well. And so let me pray for us and we'll open God's word. God, you are so good. And we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your burden is light. We love you. Lord, I pray today that we have hearts of flesh that are ready to be molded and shaped and changed rather than hearts of stone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It, it's the time of year where I find myself asking the question, why, a lot more. Usually because it's the point in the year where my football team is disappointing me, the Cowboys, and so just why again? Primarily the fact I'm still bitter that they lost to the Vikings two weeks ago. I know. Ugh. I'm done. I know. And, and you ask the question why, or it's the time of year where you're beginning to think, why is Dort in Iowa and not in a warm location? Although this week is beautiful. Or if you're a student, you, you've probably been recently asking, why do I have to park so far away? Um, there have, we've seen a lot of tickets in student services. If you don't know, they're day ticketing now, so watch out. Um, you will get one, right? You, and we ask why. This is, this is, I think, some of our favorite questions are why. A small child constantly asks why. Why is the sky blue? Why does this happen? Why are you doing that? Luckily, Zion, a two-year-old and a four-month-old, he's not at the point of asking why. Although he does say, what are you doing, or where did dada go, or where did mama go a lot. So I'm only assuming the next progression of like what, when, you know, why is, is probably next. Or, I don't know, maybe growing up, your mom told you to do something, or maybe a teacher in a classroom, and I don't know, you say, why? What's the classic parent and teacher response? It's the worst! It's, and I, I hated that response. It, it actually made me want to rebel. And I was reflecting on why. Because I said, why did I not like that response so much? Is because it took away any thought or opinion or concern I had. Whether it was a valid thought or not, it didn't allow me to express it. Right? That, that's why we, we hated it. 
That's why I did not like it. I hope I won't do that to my kids. Maybe in a few years I'll understand. It's like the classic response, and it just happens when you're a parent. I don't know. But we love the question, why? And even Jesus asks the question, why? This week, we're transitioning back to the Jesus questions. We just spent five weeks talking about sexuality, and now we're moving back to our series that we're taking part in all year, the Jesus questions, in which Jesus asks us questions that get at the core of who we are, get at our deepest desires and longings, and he wants to draw those out, and he wants to change us. And so the question that Jesus asks us this morning is why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And, and I think the beauty of this question is the fact that the roles are reversed. We're not asking Jesus why. He's asking us why. And the weird thing is, Jesus already knows the answer. So if Jesus already knows why do doubts arise in our hearts, why is he asking the question? The question is less about himself and what he wants to know, but he asks the question for you and for me. He asks the question because he wants to get at the answer and at our heart, and he wants to know why do doubts arise in your hearts. And he doesn't say, because I said so. He doesn't even give an option for because I said so. He asks the question why. And so I hope this morning where we, we can get to a place where we can answer that question honestly. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to start in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? This section in Luke 24, there, there are kind of three resurrection appearances in this section. The first one at the beginning of the chapter is when the women were going to the tomb to bring spices and ointment, and then Jesus wasn't there. The, the angels show up, and then they tell him. The second one is, is on the road to Emmaus, in which a couple of Jesus followers are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and Jesus actually engages them in conversation, and but they don't recognize him until later. But this one is he's asking his disciples. He, he's in a room with his disciples, and he says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? And I think the question's important because the very idea of heart, right? A heart is the place of reflection. It's the place of, of um, the core of who you are. It's the place of decision. We, in the NIV, it's translated, why do doubts arise in your mind? Right, the idea of my, we may think we make decisions with our mind today because we're a little more rational or logical, but the idea is why do they arise in your heart? And the fact that they arise means they're coming from somewhere. Right, the fact that doubts arise means that there's a root attached somewhere in us that needs to be detached, that needs to be taken away. And Jesus asks the question because he wants to get at the root. He wants to get at the root of your fear. He wants to get at the root of your trouble. He wants to get at the root of your doubt. Because when you get at the root, he can change your heart, as opposed to our, just our behavior. And so Jesus wants to do that this morning. 
And I think it's important to take a step inside the story. Why were the disciples doubt? Why did they doubt? Why did doubts arise? Well, if you think about it, three years, about three years previously, Jesus called the disciples to follow him. They left their families, they left their jobs, they left the security, and they started following Jesus. And for three years, they got to witness Jesus do miracles. They got to be, t- they were taught by Jesus. And I always wonder in scripture, we just get a piece of what Jesus did. I just, I want to know all the conversations and things Jesus taught them when they were hanging out, when they were going to bed, when they were having pillow talk. Jesus totally had pillow talk, and I would love to like know what that pillow talk was, right? They, they were following Jesus. I'm sure in the disciples, there was some sense of hope that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was the one Israel had been waiting for. And Jesus most definitely was trying to get the disciples to see that, but they just weren't quite there. But I'm sure there was a sense and a hope that this was the case. If we look in the previous resurrection appearance on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is engaging them in conversation. He asks, what things are you talking about? And they kind of explain what's happened, that Jesus has died. And here's what they say in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So why did doubts arise in the hearts of the disciples? It's because they had hoped Jesus was the one Israel had been waiting for. They had hoped Jesus was the one that all the Old Testament was pointing to. They had hoped that Jesus was finally going to be the one that was going to set them free from the authority of another nation, of another country other than Israel. And he died. He wasn't the one. Or so they thought. Their expectations were missed and their hopes were crushed. And I, I would guess that the same is probably pretty true for us as well. That doubts arise in our minds, in our hearts, because we actually do not believe God is good. And we actually don't believe he has the best interest of ours in mind that he isn't who he says he is because our current circumstances or our present cultural landscape just seem too far off to match up with who Jesus said he was and the promises he claimed to fulfill. So I wonder if Jesus asked you the question right now and you were sitting next to him and he said, why do doubts arise in your heart? I wonder what some of the answers would, would be. Why do doubts arise? God, I've suffered too much pain and hurt. God, you're not good. Why do doubts arise? You keep taking people from me. People keep dying. My friends are passing away. There's my, my parents have cancer. There's too many broken homes. I've suffered abuse and I've suffered neglect. God, you are not good. Why do doubts arise? This sin that I've struggled with over and over again and I've prayed it away and I've tried to stop it, it's still here. The shame and the anxiety and the the pornography, whatever it is, it's not God. You're not good. Why do doubts arise? Christian community, you tell us to be open, but I don't have friends. I don't have a safe place. God, there's no way you could love me. The things I've done, the thoughts I've had, I am not worthy to be loved. Do you see what's happening in our world? Do you see our political situation? Do you see the famine, the destruction, the homelessness in this country, the climate, whatever it be, your good creation? It's being destroyed. 
our current circumstances often do not match who God says he is or the things he said to fulfill. And if you're like me, that's kind of, all those things are kind of uncomfortable to say, right? Because there's this weird thing in Christian culture where we talk about joy, we talk about happiness, we talk about like God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, which is totally true, but yet we're not actually honest. We say that we believe in God. We intellectually know we should trust God and we should hope in God, but our experience does not match that. And our hearts actually don't sense and feel that. And I think the root, if we were to summarize the root of our doubt, it'd be we do not trust God's word and we do not trust the promises of Jesus. But Jesus in this text is asking you why. And even though we shouldn't doubt him, and the text implies that, he wants to know your answer. He wants to know why doubts are arising. So what what does Jesus do next? Verse 39. He says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Stop there. Jesus said, look at my resurrected body. I am real. I don't want to go too far into this. Aaron talked about looking at the resurrection of Jesus, living in the reality of the resurrection during Defender Day's chapel. If you want a beautiful word on that, you should watch that. But essentially, what Jesus is saying, look, I'm here. I'm present. I'm real. This is true. You can hope again. Do not doubt. This is reality. And here's a really, really interesting phrase. Here's the disciples' response to that. Verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Translation, the disciples thought Jesus being resurrected was too good to be true. They disbelieved. Why did they disbelieve? For joy. Because the reality of the resurrection was too marvelous. The disciples did not want to hope again and believe it was true because they didn't want to experience the heartache again. They, They didn't want their expectations to be crushed again. They didn't want their hope to be crushed again. Doubt was known and doubt was comfortable. Doubt was a self protection. It was a safety net so that they wouldn't experience the despair of it not being real. And I wonder if that's the case for us too. That if we set the bar low, if we set our expectations low, that means we won't get hurt. Because when we have high expectations and they're missed, it's crushing. Are you afraid to hope? Is your doubt and bitterness and anger towards God a self-protection to not be hurt again? To not have missed expectations again? To not allow a supposedly good God to break your heart once more? Because when we self-protect, we put a barrier between ourselves and Jesus. When we decide to not hope again and we let our doubts rule our mind and rule the way that we live, it puts a barrier between 
us and Jesus. And the very reason Jesus asks the question is to tear the barrier down. The very reason Jesus asks the question is to get at our heart and to change it and to transform it. Because he wants to know why. Can I tell you that Jesus is not too good to be true? He is true. The good news of Jesus is true. He came in human history and he died in our place with our sin only to be resurrected back to life so that we may have life. It's reality. It happened. It's done. Paul says it like this, For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That, it is why, that is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. So Dort, Students, faculty, professors, we can totally and utterly lose ourselves in the resurrected Jesus. Because his promises are sure. They are, they are done. They are sealed. They are, they are completed. The victory is ours right now. And we can hope again because Jesus has risen and because the kingdom is a reality, not just in the future, but here and now. So hope. Wear your heart on your sleeve. Risk everything because it's true. So hope. So here's the interesting thing. Jesus keeps going. He's asked the question. He showed his hands and his feet to his disciples, yet they still don't believe. So what does Jesus do? He says, well, let me keep proving it to you. Let let me keep going. I'm not going to condemn your answer. I'm not going to condemn your doubt and unbelief. So this is what Jesus says. He says, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. He ate with them, right? If you're real, you eat and you digest and you chew. It's interesting that in the previous resurrection appearance, this is the moment where their eyes were opened. In verse 30, it says, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Table fellowship, eating together, it was a symbol of intimacy. It was a symbol of community. Table fellowship, oftentimes it took all day to prepare a meal. It was in a home. It was personal. It was a conversation. And it's in the intimacy of that moment in which the disciples' eyes were opened. And the same is true for us. It's in the intimacy of table fellowship with Jesus. It's in the intimacy of answering the question honestly, where our eyes are opened and our hearts are settled. And when we're ready to answer the question, honestly, it allows us to hope in the resurrected Jesus again. And leads us to true intimacy with him. And Jesus doesn't condemn our doubts, but he actually points us to a greater reality that's beyond our doubts. Right? Jesus does not condemn our doubts in that moment where we speak them to him, where we share them with him, where we're in table fellowship with him. He, his desire is not to condemn, his desire is to point to something that's beyond, to point to something that's even more real than our present circumstances and our doubts. And so what is the reality beyond our doubts. Here's how Jesus wraps up the conversation. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Stop there. Jesus basically goes on to explain all of the scriptures to them. That's when their minds are open. That's when they see it. To show that Jesus said this would happen. Verse 26, he says this, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So what's the reality beyond, the reality beyond our doubts is the resurrection. When we gaze at the resurrected Jesus, we begin to live into the reality of the resurrection rather than our doubts. And doubts descend and hope arises. But what comes before resurrection? Death. Doubt. Suffering. It's the pattern of Jesus, suffering and then glory. And if it's the pattern of Jesus, it's also the pattern of Jesus' followers. And we don't like preaching. I don't like preaching this. We don't like a theology of suffering. We don't like the idea that we may just have to be uncomfortable and suffer. Right? We, we, we don't like it. But it's in the suffering and the pain and the doubt and the fear in this broken world in which Jesus transforms us and brings us into true intimacy with himself. And I think this is kind of a theme this year. The questions, why are you afraid? Why are you troubled? Jesus leads us into our storms. Jesus meets us in our storms. Right? He doesn't go around our sin or our doubt or our trouble. He meets us in the thick of it. Why? To change us. And this goes totally against our culture because we value comfortability. We value being comfortable. We value having money. We value these things. And so we are conditioned to not like suffering and to say that it's bad. So our, the very way we live goes against the pattern of Jesus. Go and read Romans eight seventeen or 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12. Suffering and then glory. Why are we crushed? Why are we afflicted? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. And so our doubts do not separate us from Jesus. They bring us into closer proximity with Jesus. Our doubts do not separate us from Jesus. They actually, when we answer the question, bring us into closer proximity to Jesus. And this is, we've been talking about this all year. When we're in close proximity to Jesus, we're changed. Hope can arise. We can, our eyes are opened again. We can dare to hope. We can risk everything because Jesus is worthy. Because our doubts often arise because, because they come from a place of suffering. And I just want to end. I want to tell you, will be done, that Jesus wants your honest answer. Right? So the reality beyond our doubts is the reality of the resurrection. But our doubts and suffering is what brings us into living the resurrection. So I'll close with the question, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Isaiah 30, verse 18 says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Jesus is waiting in anticipation for your honest answers in order to extend grace, kindness, and hope. A couple weeks ago, 
should be a picture on the screen. We celebrated my father-in-law's birthday. And Zion, right now, you see that, I know, they're, they're, oh, they're so cute. And he was holding both of my boys, and Zion loves to blow out candles right now. Like, sometimes we'll just light them, and whoo, he blows them. So we were lighting all of them on the candle, and he was waiting. And Zion wa- was there, and, and telling a two-year-old to wait to blow out candles doesn't work very well. And he's just anticipating, like, he's ready. And so we're lighting them, and he can't wait. And then we have to sing a song. We have to sing a song, and, he, and he's like, whoo, Like, he can't contain himself. Like, he is so ready for the action to blow out the candles. And I was sitting there in that moment, and I just thought, this is the exact posture that the father has towards his kids. He is so ready in anticipating your honest answers that he just wants to extend grace and kindness and hope to you. He's on the edge of his seat, ready to extend anything and everything that you need. Like, he's ready, and all we have to do is answer the question. All we have to do is be completely and totally honest. Because he simply wants to extend grace and kindness and hope. So answer the question, why do doubts arise in your mind? I'm going to pray and we're going to leave. If you just want to stick around for a few minutes, Son Ben is just going to play some music. I know some of you have class, you've got to get lunch before, but if you want to sit and reflect on the question and answer it and put it in your phone or answer it in your mind or write it down in your journal, we want to create that space. So if you are going to leave, please leave quietly. Please leave respectfully. But I want to give you a moment, just a few minutes, to reflect and to answer. So I'll give you a blessing and we can leave. So as you go, This morning, as you go to class, as you leave this place, will you go knowing that Jesus is waiting, is anticipating your honest answer, and he is ready to extend grace and kindness and hope in order to open our eyes and to settle our hearts so that we can begin to live and commune and table fellowship with him and in the reality of the resurrection. So go in love, go in hope, in Jesus' name.